know, we have moved close to Western Kentucky University, and I don't know if you know this, but when they have commencement at Western, they toll the bells at the end for a good little bit. It just kind of, they, it kind of goes nuts for a little bit, just big celebration. And I heard that, I was working in the yard yesterday, or Friday, and heard that multiple times. The first time that happened, I, it just sort of stopped me in my tracks. And I thought just for a second about all the work and all the preparation and all the blood, sweat, and tears and the, the students praying to God to get through another semester and to get a grade and all, you know, just all of the work that it takes to get to that moment and all the people that have poured into their lives. And there it was just ringing out. Uh, there's a place for celebration. And uh, so we want to begin there. I want to celebrate a few things this morning. Uh, I want to celebrate that Rick and Debbie Bard are here. Rick and Debbie, where are you? Uh, away over there on the side. Uh, Rick and, and Debbie, who served this congregation for more than 20 years uh, and are here for this weekend, and uh, just, it just made my week uh, to know that you all were going to be here today. Uh, I want to celebrate also, uh, and uh, we will do this at the end of the service, our graduating seniors here. Uh, we had our senior blessing um, this week, which is uh, in, in this room, actually, where um, the parents of those, uh, of those graduating seniors, um, they have a dinner, and they speak blessing over each of their children. And uh, it is a profound moment in their lives and in the flow of our, our year. And so we're going to celebrate them at the end of our time today and celebrate God's work in them and we're, uh, send them out with a blessing in, in so, so many ways. Also, I uh, just wanted, I just thought we'd do this. If you'd kind of uh, humor me a little bit. Um, today is Mother's Day. My mom is a United Methodist pastor. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, and I'm a pastor and we don't usually take Mother's Day off. So we're not usually together. But she watches the sermon like every week. In fact, on Monday or Tuesday, she usually tells me what she likes and what she didn't like and what we could have done all that. So uh, we've got people online with us today and the sermon will be uh, available. So everybody just say hi to my mom. Say hi, Adam's mom. Hi, Adam's mom. Thank you. She will, she will really appreciate that. Will be one of the things that she said she probably did like about the sermon. Uh, so today, as we uh, come into worship, I, 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 and really kind of in this time in life, I feel like one of the questions we're asking is, what, is, what should we be doing now? After all the things and after a lot of adjusting and disruption, and what should we be doing now? And how do we, more importantly underneath that, how do we find the oomph, the passion to live into our purpose? So passion and purpose questions are always underneath the surface for us in stages of life and in just various times in life, it just kind of comes and goes. Sometimes it feels more intense than others, but it's always there. And I think especially right now, collectively, we need a little bit of a, a reset or even a bit of discovery about what we ought to be doing. And we're gonna be talking about that. We talk, started this last week. We're gonna be talking about, starting today, four specific things that are our job as witnesses of Jesus Christ in the world, to be the people who are ready and able to join God in his work in the world, just to be able to see it and to join it. It's just as simple as that. In fact, to get even simpler than that, when we talk about joining God in the world, what we really mean is the simple ability to actually love people around us, to actually love neighbor, and to actually love God. And that this happens in a process of God's work in us and in the world. We're gonna be talking about how we do that. What's our part in that great big thing that God is doing? Where do we find our place in it? We're in a series about 
finding that through our fundamental Christian vocation of being witnesses of Jesus. And witness understood in that way is not just something we say. It's not just something we do, but it is how we do everything that we do. How we, by becoming something different, set something loose in the world that other people notice, and it becomes real. So witnessing, uh, we've kind of got to say, is not having a forced, awkward conversation about Jesus. It is about becoming a living reminder of him through the process of him working in us. I want to talk about four things in this series, and today's the first of those. We sort of set this up last week. I'm going to put this on the, on the screen before we get to the pictures. I'm a little out of order, guys. But these are the, they're on it. Uh, these are the four tasks that we're going to be talking about together. The first is anticipating God's goodness. That's where we are today. The question is, who will there be in the world whose job it is to simply wait for and be expectant of God to show up? Whose job is that? It's, it's ours. And then that is the foundation of the rest, where we begin to then notice God at work. And so noticing is where we'll, what we'll, what we'll talk about. Being able to see it is what we'll talk about next week. And then being able to name it, to point to it, and give voice to it, to, to call it forth and kind of point others to it, to be able to talk about that versus all the grumpy things that I end up talking about or all the things that we might find ourselves talking about. Who will be in the world that finds themselves just naturally talking about God at work? And then finally, how do we join? How do we participate in this thing? Acknowledging, even as we heard in the scripture this morning, that there are a lot of obstacles to that, uh, that we get caught up in a lot of things that keep us from being drawn into this dynamic process of God at work. So what does it mean to be people who anticipate the goodness of God? That's where we, there were, that's where we are today. Who will be those people? And I want to give you uh, an example as we start out this morning that I, that I realize I probably, I don't know that I've ever talked about one of the most important people in my life. And, and this, is, this is her. This is my dog. That's Bella. And I'm sorry to those of you who think you have the best dog in the world. Uh, you don't. Uh, that's ours. That is, she's half uh, Pomeranian, half Sheltie, and half Pogo stick, as you see there. Uh, and she really is the best, best dog in the world. Uh, did you see, did you put up the, where I actually painted her? That's how you know it's really bad. That I, yeah, that, that's my painting of my dog, Bella. And that's my dog jumping again. Okay, so um, Bella is, uh, has two fears in life. She's afraid of storms, and she's afraid of being away from us. That's it. She, does never, she never wants to be away from us. And she's happy uh, if, if she can be. She used to sleep away from us. She had a seizure five years ago. Now she sleeps on the bed with us. There's not room, but it doesn't matter. She's with us. Uh, and the pandemic was great because we were together all the time. And then we started going away again. And it really bothered her. She has two great joys in life, being with us and going on walks. And this is what I want to talk to you about. Because Bella has, uh, she's been with us over 10 years, 10 or 11 years now, has a uh, has a, a, a skill in life to pick up on the slightest hint that we might be going on a walk, her favorite thing. And you can imagine there are some really obvious indicators. If we get the leash out, Bella does she, the pogo stick thing. She, uh, when she was younger, she would, I would do this and clap my hands or whatever, and she would hit me right here. I could catch her. So she does that. When she's older now, but if we're going on a walk, she, she uses that energy. And you can't not go at that point. Get the leash out. It's a done deal, right? You have to do it. Uh, but it's not just that. So we got to the point where you would say, do you want to go on a walk? She knows the word, right? So we can't use the word walk in our house. 
You can't, you can't walk, you talk about walking anywhere. If you say the word walk, it's a done deal. Bounce, bounce, crazy, all the things. So then we started spelling it. She can spell now. <laughs> Do you want to go on a W? She's perked up. The funniest one of, of these things, and this is literally the truth, is that we, I was too cheap to buy the little rolls of doggy, you know, where you got a scooper, you know, do the thing when your dog, because you're walking out, and um, the, what are those poop bags? And um, I didn't want to buy those, so we used Walmart and Kroger bags. So now, if you go into the pantry and you rustle something, <laughs> boing, 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 it's, and so, so here's, here's my question. What, were, what if we... Uh, were that about God and the things of God. And here's the thing about Bella and the walk thing. You would think that uh, we do this all the time. And actually, sadly, no. As much as she loves this, we're busy, we're doing our thing, we have a backyard. Actually, when, when we moved recently, I worked hard to get the fence where it would work to let her outside so she can just go out in the backyard and we don't have to go on walks. And sometimes um, before that was done, it was raining, it was cold, and it actually snowed several times. And I'm out there taking the dog on a walk. It's not my favorite thing to do. It's her favorite thing. And sometimes I, I, I avoid honestly, uh, taking the time. Don't have to take the time to do it. She doesn't care. It does not deter her in the slightest that we don't go on a walk every day. In fact, it almost just fuels her. Like, maybe, well, maybe that rustling of a bag in the other room might be the chance where quite possibly, no, okay, well, maybe next time. She just never gives up. She is always, always, always ready. And imagine being that in your life. And, 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 and today we're going to talk about what it means to, to do that and how that really begins to lay the foundation of a different kind of life. You know, because it's also easy to not be Bella, but to be Eeyore, right? I do this, I don't, we don't have time for it. I looked up Eeyore quotes this week just to kind of, kind of get in that mood as well, you know. And it's sort of like the expectation that the, one, of the, one of them is, uh, the sky finally fell. I always knew it would. Right? And that sounds like a, a pretty hopeless or a Saturday night at my house. You know, it's easy to go through life and kind of, through our experience, do the opposite of being expectant. Life can teach us to expect the worst. And so it takes some cultivation. It takes some intentionality to anticipate the goodness of God. And that is essentially the spiritual life. That really all that we talk about in the, the, the practices of our faith and what we do, how we serve, how we live, is all about being in the place where we anticipate God's goodness and, and, and are ready and able when God shows up, ready to see and ready to join. Uh, the assumption is that God is at work. The assumption is that that is something that is needed more than any other thing in the world. That there's something that God alone can do in our lives and in our world. The assumption is that we need that more than we need anything else. And the assumption also is that we, we very often miss it. Very often don't see the thing that's right in front of us, the thing that's happening. So when we worship, when we talk about the goodness of God, it is to help stir in us an awareness, an ability, a capacity to see. 
And so you would expect when Jesus was setting out his first disciples to be his witnesses in the world, uh, that when he's leaving and going into heaven, that he would give them the job of, you know, sort of set them out and, uh, and give them marching orders. And that's exactly what he did. But what he told them is a bit of a surprise. This is the foundation of this whole series. The first task that Jesus gave his disciples when he left them, when he ascended into heaven, was to go and to wait. Go back to Jerusalem, wait on the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Step one, do nothing. And that pushes against everything within those of us who are achievement-oriented. Those of us who want to figure out what's needed in the world and take the bull by the horns and make it happen. Those of us who produce and do and act and stay busy. This, this task, this first task of simply anticipating God's goodness is the opposite of what we naturally want to do. But Jesus says, go wait. Christ's vision would be, is that there would be a people in the world whose job it was to be ready to wait. And the biblical tradition has a lot to say about that. For us, waiting has a lot of negative connotation, doesn't it? Waiting is something you do in the doctor's office. Waiting is something that you do at Lion and Disney World before you get on you know, whatever, Magic Mountain or whatever. I've been a long time since I've been to Disney. So it's a small world after all, right? Waiting is not something that we consider part of the plan. It is for us the thing that we do before we get to the plan. But in the biblical sense, waiting is an important component in the process because there's something that happens in us in the waiting. So Psalm 130, as we read this morning, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in this scripture, we see what is often the connection between uh, waiting and what God is doing. Because what does it say next? And in his word, I hope. Biblically, there is a strong connection between anticipating and waiting and hope. And then uh, this description, more than watchmen wait for the morning. It's so descriptive, they repeat it. More than watchmen wait for the morning. We imagine two sentries out on the the gate or the wall of the city through the long night and just hoping that time will pass, waiting for the first glimpse of the light of the dawn to peek on the horizon, the smallest indicator, the rustling of the bag that something is going to happen. Psalm 130 is one of the 15 psalms of ascent in the Bible. Uh, We think they were used as preparation to go to worship. So it's fitting that we're going to talk talking about this psalm. uh, As pilgrims go together to to festivals in Jerusalem, they might have memorized these lines. And very often they talked about very, very human things, very ordinary things that people were dealing with. And so you can imagine, uh, as they're preparing for worship, that one of the things that we also sort of deal with is that there are a lot of obstacles to being ready to worship, ready for, for God. I remember uh, a person at a former church that said the sermon is always better when we stop and pray in the car before we come in. I don't know if the sermon was any better or not, but I think what he was saying was that there was something about being, being ready. And Psalm 130 is about that. In fact, it begins not in a hopeful and expectant place, but actually in a dark place. Out of the depths I cry to you is how Psalm 130 begins. In fact, the psalm itself has, in, in, is kind of known through the tradition by its Latin uh, entry, those, those, those first lines, uh, de profundis. That's 
often the, the name given to this psalm. Out of the depths, I cry to you. The psalms do such a good job of, of starting in an honest place. But you might imagine that, that it would stay there, and it doesn't. There is, uh, a, the, the end of the psalm is, is one of hope, as it, as it acknowledges that God can do something. But there is something that only God can do. There's something to be expectant about the thing that only God can do. On this Mother's Day, I think back to when Jenny and I were expecting, and uh, we had this devotion that we did b- before we had kids. Um, uh, each night as we would go to bed, it was called Expectant Moments. Now, then, then we had kids, and then our prayer at the end of the night as we fell into bed was, thank God we survived, you know, basically was, was that. But, um, but back then, we, we did these devotions to help prepare our spirits for this incredibly challenging and really important task. And I, I was thinking about that now, 20-some-odd years later, that we probably don't realize the impact of those prayers that we prayed. Like we may probably haven't stopped to, to recognize the, the way that God was getting us ready. Psalm 130 deals with cultivating that expectancy in real life. Because that place of being in the depths, out of the depths, I cry to you, as the psalm goes on, we realize that it is very much about how the psalmist has gotten himself there, that he has dug the hole that he is now in, that sin is a part of, failure is a part of his life. And, and so the prayer begins in, this, in these depths, but ends, as I said, in hope, and that's the key, not in the psalmist's ability to fix himself, but in the trust that there is not a, a, an obstacle too great for God to overcome in our lives. And part of being ready is letting God tear down those things in us that keep us bound up, keep us separated, keep us disconnected. I feel like for this message, you could go home, if you wanted to do this as a spiritual exercise, you could talk about two things, kind of make a list of two things. One is what helps you be uh, in the right place? What helps you be ready? What helps you to live with a sense of expectancy and hope? And what keeps you distracted What makes you disillusioned? Jesus talked also about this. He he taught about being ready. In Matthew 25, we read this. This is, again, part of this biblical tradition uh, about waiting. Jesus said, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. This is part of a parable that Jesus told. This is the summary line of the parable of what we call the ten uh, bridesmaids, essentially. And um, it is about a wedding, uh, basically a, a wedding and then the reception. And between the wedding and the party, the groom is slow to get there. Now, we, we don't know exactly, but it seems like there's some sort of progressive dinner kind of thing going on. So after the wedding, the groom is maybe visiting at different houses, going to aunt so-and-so and grandma so-and-so and, you know, and friends and, and just is, is making his way to, to the party. And he's late. Now, I've done a lot of weddings. I've never had a late groom to the wedding or to the reception. I did have a bride that was an hour late one time. And I did have a groom that broke his femur a couple days before the wedding. And then his bride-to-be almost broke the other one because he had done it doing something stupid right before their wedding. And he had to crutch his way down the aisle. And she, uh, she was not super thrilled about that. But I've never had a groom that was late nor have I had half of the bridal party not show up for the reception. And that's what seems to have happened. The whole point of being a bridesmaid is that you're, you're there when it happens, when the wedding happens, when the party happens, and half of them miss it. Jesus tells a silly story in a way, 
but essentially they're waiting for the groom. He's late in coming, uh, and, and, and they're going to go into the reception together, and then, you know, the MC will get on the mic and say, no, we welcome so-and-so and so-and-so. And so they're waiting for that, and the groom keeps not showing up. Five of them are ready to wait, and five of them aren't. Five of them bring their lamps with enough oil, uh, and five of them don't bring oil. And so when the, they, uh, they fall asleep and it goes on, and then when it's like, oh, he might be coming, they look and they don't have the oil they need. So they go and they, they go buy some. And while they're away, while they're off and distracted and unprepared, the groom comes. And they go into the party, and, and the, the, the five that are ready go in, and the five that miss out miss out. The bridesmaid, bridesmaids had one job uh, and they missed the party. I don't know, but that, that sums up a lot of life for me. So Jesus says, therefore keep watch because you don't know the day of the hour. We sometimes think of that meaning the second coming of Jesus, but it is very much also every moment in which Jesus might show up in our lives. I remember many years ago missing out on a moment. When we talk about being ready for moments and how that is a witness to Jesus, I remember many times where I've, I've been the, the silly bridesmaid, the one who, who missed the party, missed the moment. I remember one time being so caught up in my own stuff that I missed what was going on with somebody else, and maybe you can relate to that. Many years ago, uh, we were in the line waiting at the pharmacy, and um, the context was that my, my kid was sick again. I don't remember which kid it was. I just remember um, there was sort of the ongoing thing. We could set our, you know, our, our calendar every six weeks. Somebody was going to be sick. And then we would go to the doctor, and then we would pay the doctor, and then we'd go get medicine, and we'd pay for the medicine. And um, uh, we, you know, that was the money you know, that I thought I should be spending on things you know, like myself, like my dog or whatever. I remember telling that story about 10 or 11 years ago, and one of the doctors in the congregation said, you know, by paying us, that's how we make our living, right? And I said, yeah, but that's not where my mind was at the time. My mind was like, here we are again, and the money thing was bothering me. Ironically, that became the, the, the opportunity that I missed, because in front of me and of, of us in line was a woman who couldn't pay, and it took me a little while to figure out what was going on. They kept trying different cards, and she was not having a good day, and she needed medicine for her kid, and uh, her card wouldn't go through. I don't know what the situation was, but long story short, after several minutes, she walked away without her medicine. And we paid for hours, and, I, and my first thought, if I'm honest, this is awful, my first thought was, finally, so we can do our thing. And it wasn't until minutes or maybe a, an hour or two later that it just hit me like a ton of bricks. All you had to do was to cough up $15 to pay for that woman's medicine, and it would have been a game changer, for, a day changer for her. That's what we're talking about, these little moments that we miss all the time when we're not ready. And the tragedy of that is very often we don't even realize it. We don't know what we don't know. And then we go about life kind of from an Eeyore perspective, finding you know, life confirms our suspicion that the sky has finally fallen when God is at work all around us. And so the question comes back to us, how do we get ready? How do we stay expectant? How do we fight discouragement? How do we trust rather than despair? How do we cultivate wonder rather than cynicism? How do we find imagination and creativity and faith? And how does this become our task in life? 
our job, our main job, so that we're ready. What keeps this expectant? I got to making a list of that, and you might, as I said, you might do the same. You know, being outside is, is an equation, part of the equation for me, stepping out and being in nature, going on a run or working in the yard. I go into the sanctuary here during the work day when I'm overwhelmed and I'll, I'll sit at the piano for a few minutes and, and begin to play, and that resets me. Corporate worship does that for me. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a worship setting where I'm not leading in some way and have no expectation whatsoever, and it just resets the dial. It happened for me last Monday at a, 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 a pastor's event where we went in for, to worship and renewed our covenant to God, and it was a meaningful worship experience for me. Learning and challenge are often part of the equation. I'll have to sign myself up for things so that I can uh, you know, challenge myself. And that usually draws me out of myself and I learn something, I get a new perspective. It, it changes me. Sometimes in gatherings with other pastors or uh, with people at church, we talk about um, where God has been at work. We talk about it. Uh, we, we start the conversation or start the meeting with what sometimes is called glory sightings. Where have you seen God at work? And by talking about that, which we'll, we'll, that's one of the sermons, uh, is naming, by naming it, it raises my level of expectation. I, I've shared many times that every Friday I have a call uh, with my accountability partner, my friend Len DeVazier. And very often, just in telling the story of the week, what I end up naming is where God has been at work, without even realizing it, having an awareness or an insight about something that had happened, good or bad, and how God was in it. Other people do a gratitude journal and write out day at, you know, for the day or for the week what they're grateful for. There are people I know who do what, it, what is called the daily examine in the afternoon. They'll go through and they'll, um, you can look up, you know, there are just different formats to do this, but it, basically look over your day and notice where God is at work. The point is that there just has to be some intentionality here. There's a saying in recovery as well, when it applies to worship, it applies to prayer, it applies to spiritual, the spiritual life in general, which is you gotta, you gotta show up and suit up, suit up and show up. There is something to just doing the thing. Sometimes you don't feel like going to church, do you? Sometimes you don't pray out in the car uh, before you come in, but if you do, maybe it's praying over your kids that, or that you won't strangle them in some way or another. Some of you are just happy to get in the room, and I'm so grateful for that. Life, life can be like that. But there, there, have to, there has to be some effort here. Otherwise, we're going to miss what God is doing, and we're going to become discouraged. So let me end <clears throat> Excuse me. here. Uh, I was reading, uh, somebody sent me this actually a, a few weeks ago. Some of you may have seen it. Anne Lamott was writing about her 68th birthday, getting ready for her, her birthday. And I, Anne Lamott is uh, edgy, and I like her, um, partly because of that. Uh, and, she, and she's honest, and much like the Psalms, just where there's, no, there's no space for kind of kidding around. And she was talking about getting ready to celebrate her 68th birthday. And somehow, 60, at 68, you've sort of seen stuff in life. You're not easily impressed. And you're, you're, you, the, the fluff doesn't really matter. And so all the sort of stuff that, that kind of we say, uh, you know, sort of doesn't, doesn't stick. And then she's like uh, talking about how we have war in Europe. And we live in a world like the world, the world that we live in. And, uh, and, and so how do you be hopeful and expectant? and be truthful. 
And she describes, you might read this, uh, she describes how she gets there and how actually the, the bigness of the world and the problems of the world actually can spur you on to do the thing that you can do, to, to think globally but act locally and to be intentional. And so she makes this analogy. She talks about how you can trap a bumblebee in a jar. I haven't tried this, so I don't know if it's true or not. Has anybody tried this uh, to trap a bumblebee in a jar with a, a dab of honey? And here's the thing, uh, according to Anne Lamott, is that they'll fly in voluntarily, but don't know how to get out. Even if you leave the top of the jar open, the bee will never fly out. It will stay there, stuck, until it dies. And for one reason only. And that reason is because it'll never look up. It doesn't see the way out. It always looks down. Who will be the people who, who look up in a world with all of its issues? Who will take this as their task and their challenge, regardless of what the situation looks like? May it be us, as we are called to anticipate the very goodness of God and to enjoy it and to participate in it and then join God in the world. Let's pray together as we prepare to give and continue in worship. Let's pray. God, we celebrate your goodness among us and we begin to tell that story over and over again as our commitment to revel in and anticipate your goodness in us and in the world. We confess that we don't always see it. We confess that we are distracted and disillusioned in despair at times. And we, we also cry out of the depths. Some of us have even convinced ourselves that the world is ultimately a terrible place and that you are not at work. You understand this. You also know that we also cry out of the depths because of our own sin, those obstacles that we have created, the hole that we've dug that we can't get out of. But this is no surprise to you as well. But that's the very point. As we tell the story of Jesus, and what we give witness to is this expansive love that will not stop, even for people like us. Even among people with issues and sin and failure. Even among people who sometimes have very little hope. The thing we celebrate the most and anticipate the most is your goodness shown to people, real people like us. So help us to see it. Help us to live into it. Help us to, to, to join it. Help us to be those who will look for your goodness all around us. We see that as we participate in giving, as we give, may these gifts themselves be a sign, a symbol, a foretaste of your great generosity to the people who will receive it. We pray for those kids who will be going on uh, to camp at Camp Lucon this summer and for our dollar difference offering that it might uh, provide a scholarship for someone to go. Hear about your love for them who may not know that or may be hearing about it for the very first time. 
And in this week ahead, help us to see every little opportunity that you set out in front of us. Help us to be aware of things that we've been missing. Cultivate in us hope and expectation, anticipation, so that we can see you at work around us and join us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.